0: Hi, welcome to What I Would Have Missed. I'm Julie Rocco. Our guest today is Charles Phillips. Charles, welcome to What I Would Have Missed. Do you mind introducing yourself to our listeners?
1: Absolutely, and thank you for having me. I'm Charles Phillips. I'm a minister, school counselor at the middle school level um, in Maryland. I'm also the host of the I Am Conquering Mountains podcast, um, and an author as well of the book Conquering Mountains, It highlights my journey through poverty Um, suicide ideations, abuse, neglect, and how I came through many of those obstacles.
0: Thank you, Charles, for being here. When you think about this morning, you woke up and there may have been an opportunity or a point of reflection to think about this morning. When I woke up at one point, I was willing to let go of this morning. When you think about what you would have missed today in the present moment, when you woke up, what comes to mind?
1: So much comes to mind, you know, when I was contemplating suicide, there were um, two times where I had contemplated suicide, one when I was about 13 or 14, and then again, when I was um, in college, about 20, 21 years old, and thinking about things that I would have missed, you know, one, um, being a minister, I get to help people navigate life's hardships, by showing them how God has helped many other people to conquer those hardships as well, uh, whether they're similar hardships and heartaches or something far worse or far less, um, beginning to get them into helping them to see the sight of God by removing some of those barriers of the stress that is blocking their view of God. Um, so I would have I would have missed that. Also would have missed. Um, when I think about you know things that bring me joy, one is my family. You know my wife and I we met back in college, we both played college basketball, um, and she transferred into our school our junior year, it's funny, when I first told her that I I liked her and I was interested in her, she just said, okay, I think she had, like, a boyfriend at the time or something, but I think she, like, came came around to her senses or whatnot, Um, but when we actually first started to date, um, I was contemplating suicide, you know, and she gave me some, uh, just a peace of mind to be around somebody where I could let let my guard down, my flaws could be shown, my insecurities could be revealed and not have to worry about being judged. Um and having that is what I needed at the time. And that and even though we didn't really talk about, you know, the obstacles that I had been through, that came a little later in our relationship. Um, but just having someone on my side that, you know, I could go to, I could hang out with, I could let my guard down and just be present in the moment without having to worry about what someone thinks about me or what someone is saying about me, or if they're sending text messages across the room when I say something or make a joke about something they don't think it's funny. Um, just having someone like that in my corner was definitely something that I needed, and I thank God that I'm still here because that is definitely a big piece of my life um, that has changed the trajectory of my life. Um, so when my wife and I started dating and we graduated college. I was from Atlanta. She's from Maryland. And we said, well, we'll move to whoever states gets a real job first who can support the other. And then come to find out, she was only applying for jobs to Maryland. And then she started sending me jobs, applications for Maryland. Um, and then I ended up applying for a job. Uh, got hired within a week in Maryland and I ended up moving out of my parents' home uh, when I was about 23, going on 24. And that completely, like I said, changed the whole trajectory of my life. You know, that is when I got to be around my wife and her family, with uh, my girlfriend at this time who's now my wife, and just seeing a, 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 getting a better understanding of the dynamics of a household. You know, they weren't worried about who's going to pay the bills. They weren't worried about if uh, the repos- the repo man is coming at night to repossess the car. There was no eviction notices on the door the lights were still on the water was still running and it was hot you know so and there was food in the refrigerator and that gave me a it was a weird feeling at first because it was something out of my norm um but having that experience and having my wife's family my in-laws now um give me that support and give me that that outlet is definitely something that has completely uh change the course of my life and where it was headed. Um, And now being a school counselor and able to give back to those young people who are going through similar hardships and heartaches that I've endured, um, especially when we think about things that we are, when I think about what I would have missed, is being able to have conversations with students who also come from different hardships and heartaches, but also have those suicide ideations and able to coach them through those things to where now they can answer that same question about things that, or or even seeing the future of what future could be. You know, I often tell my students that you might can't control what you go through, but you do control how you go through it and you control the outcome. You know, so just helping them to see that what you're going through right now, yes, it's hard. Yes, it even feels like it's impossible to endure, but helping to coach them and guide them and give them the resources and tools that they need Helps them to see or remove some of those barriers so that they can see a brighter future. Um, And also, uh, my daughter, she is two, going on 22. (laughs) My wife and I always joke that, you know, she needs her own reality show. She is comical. She is funny. Uh, It took us a while. It was a struggle to have a child. You know, we, I want to say we went through about seven or eight years before of trying to have a, a child, before we tried IVF. And then, um first time it didn't work, the second time it did, and you know, when she was born, I was like, we're calling her Heartbeat, you know. So that's her her nickname. And she's a daddy's girl. And when I come home from work, she's all over me and she's happy to see me. And, you know, just thinking about not being able to be a part of that, you know, and I, I I thank God that I am being able to be I able to be a part of, of her life. Um and I'm still here to, you know, have a daughter and raise her. Um, and hoping to give her a better life than I had, you know, and coaching her through some of those hardships that she made or as she grows up. So I think about those things that I would have missed, you know, it's kind of a tearjerker, you know, because I could have missed all of the joy that came after those suicide ideations, you know, so those are the things that I would have, I would have missed. I'm thankful that I'm still here to see. I'm
0: thankful too. And when you think about You weren't in the mindset potentially to have an understanding of the future you were willing to give up when you were having your suicidal ideations. Can you take us back to what was occurring in your life that kept you from the possibility of seeing a future potentially that obviously has brought you so much joy today?
1: (laughs) And I love that question um, because You know, I I call myself I am conquering mountains because I feel an I-N-G in conquering because I'm always, because we're always working towards overcoming something and then also dealing with the reflection of those things as well. So even though that, you know, I'm here where I'm at now today and I'm thankful for that, even reflecting on some of those things gets kind of hard because it begs the question like, well, what was the purpose of me going through this, that, and the third? So, growing up um, in my book, Conquering Mountains, the first chapter I talk about, uh, uh, I titled the first chapter, The Night Fear and Anxiety Came Into My Life. Um, And that night was when anxiety and fear uh, began to really consume me. Um, uh, I was about six years old. I was playing in the living room. We were living in a two-bedroom townhouse, and my mother and my father were having an argument, yelling, screaming. And I remember just hearing my father yelling and screaming and cussing at my mother. Um and being a young child, it was always stay out of grown folks' visit, You know, so I would sneak up the steps. And when you get to the top of the steps, when you look to the left, you look straight into my parents' room, my parents' bedroom. And I remember seeing my father was a pretty big guy. He was like six two, six three, like two seventy at the time. My mother's like five, four, five, five maybe 110 pounds soaking wet. And she's like pinned in the corner and my father's standing there and he's just berating her. So I would sneak up the steps, look to see what was going on and I would sneak back down. But the last time I got back down the steps, as soon as I stepped foot in the living room, I heard this loud pop and it sounded like a, a gunshot went off. You know, And as I grew up thinking about that night, you know, I remember, I figured that it was my father hitting my mother slapping my mother and after that I became ex- excessively fearful of my dad um, so that I wouldn't be on the receiving end of that same anger um, but chapter two is the night where that anger was uh, aimed at me uh, we were leaving a Low league baseball game and I had played I was like 10 9 or 10 years old I played the worst game I played we were the best team in the league and we lost to the worst team in the league And my father always made a way to make it as one of the coaches. Whatever sport I played, he always made it a way to be on the bench as a coach. And leaving the game, he was pissed. And he was yelling and screaming at me, cussing and screaming at me. And all I could think about was three or four years ago when he was cussing and screaming at my mother. Um, And we had a two-door Ford Thunderbird, and the passenger door didn't open. So when I got in, in and out of the car, I had to climb through the window. And I just remember feeling trapped. I couldn't get out. And we were driving. And I remember looking out the window, thinking, well, if I jump, I can jump out the window. But then I might get caught under the wheel. So I was like, no, I can't do that. So I said, man, I just got to say something while he's, like, berating me. And um, I said, well, Dad, I just couldn't get a hit. And then he just took his hand and backhanded me in the face. And even that caused even more fear and anxiety of him. And my father was pretty... He was physically abusive, but more so mentally abusive. You know, he was a master manipulator and I, he was a bit of a bully. We have a better relationship now, um, but he was a bit of a bully during that time. And we were also going through a lot of financial hardships. You know, by the time I was 18, we had moved 18 times. By the time I graduated college at 23, we had not moved. It was well into the 30s. You know, I could start naming addresses and stuff, and I'll get to about 20 or 25 before it starts to get you know, uh, blurry up there. But uh, just dealing with all of those hardships and seeing how my mother would respond to it because my father didn't he didn't work. Um, quite often there was one stretch where he went like six years without working. And that was like some very dark times where we just couldn't find our footing. And um, just getting evicted, moving from place to place, lights getting shut off, no money, no food, very little clothes. Um, I would have to go to school with holes in my in the bottom of my shoes and my sneakers. And I would slide my foot up as I walked through the school hallway so people can see me lift my foot up and see the holes on the bottom of my shoe. Um, so that just poured all of this anxiety into me and just fear and nervousness. And you know, back then we didn't really talk about mental health, um, especially in the, the black household. Um, it was always just pray about it. Um, and as a minister, You know, I'm like, well, when we look at the Bible, God never just said only pray about something, you know, you pray and then you work towards what you're asking God for, you know, and we didn't, I didn't know what anxiety was, um, and I was really just suffering since I was six years old, all the way up until I was 27, um, and when I started to go to therapy, Um, and then when I was in college. I was around a lot of different people. Uh, the school that I went to was St. Andrews University in North Carolina, and they were very well known for horseback riding. And you know, I don't know if you know anything about horses, but it cost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You know? So a lot of people there didn't come from some of the backgrounds as I did as far as finances. You know, they may have had, I don't know, if, like they may have had some challenges in life. Not, I mean, I think everybody has a mountain to conquer, um, but the people that I was communicating with didn't really have those same hardships. So I really felt out of place that, you know, I didn't belong there and I couldn't figure out why I was having all of this fear and nervousness and I played basketball and I'll you know, have some good games. And then that fear and anxiety would just completely consume me where I felt like I couldn't move forward. Um, and I started to think about like, how can I escape this and it's fear and this anxiety. And then I will get really depressed because I couldn't get over that hump, especially when I embarrass myself um, doing something. And, you know, just trying to work through that not really having the education behind it to know what I was dealing with so I could really defend myself against the anxiety um, just com- became very stressful. So I started drinking very heavily. Um, I had a back injury my fourth year of school um, and was uh got prescribed muscle relaxers, and then I started taking those with the alcohol um and really became a, a alcoholic during especially when I turned twenty one I always make the joke that you know the worst thing I did was turn twenty one but thank God I saw twenty two you know because I was just consuming so much alcohol, just trying to suppress the fear, the anxiety, the pain, the memories of the abuse and things of that nature um and then I started to think about like okay I'm I'm tired of dealing with all of this I don't know how to overcome it and that's when I really started to contemplate suicide um I didn't necessarily and what I found like even working with my students who have had suicide ideations it wasn't necessarily that I wanted to die uh but I just wanted that pain to end you know and I found that with my students it's pretty similar you know if this situation was better um if we could see an end in sight where we would overcome it and conquer it, then we want to kind of live on. Um, But a lot of times we we can't see past that. And, you know, especially with today's young people, you know, always have the tools to see past what they're experiencing right now, um, especially with the the rise of social media um, and the fear of that embarrassment and your, your insecurities and things of that nature is being exposed and those embarrassing moments that they have been exposed and seen across the world, it, 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 it makes it hard to see, or it makes the future very dark to be able to see past what you're enduring right now. Um, so when I think about those things that I was enduring with the poverty, with the views, and you know, I didn't see a way out. I had hope that it would get better you know, I always felt like if I could just make it to college, then my life would turn out better and it did you know like I said I met my wife in college actually when me and my wife uh started dating um I was contemplating suicide at the same time um and that's where and you know I always we always talk about who you know tried to court one another first, and I always say she tried to court me because I was standing outside of my dorm building and um. I was just really down really depressed i was still trying to figure out you know how like did i want to live did i want to die and contemplating suicide and she had walked by and she said hey charles i got some extra wings and some extra pizza. do you want some and i was like yeah i can always eat i'm always hungry so then we um end up sitting down and eating and that was like the best night of my college experience because I could just sit there and just be myself you know and figure out who I she gave me that space to figure out who I was you know and you know dealing with all of the hardships and heartaches that I had you know it was great to have somebody that I could just be around and not have to worry about you know are we getting evicted or my parents calling and saying that, you know, they need my refund check to from school to pay a bill or trying to hustle to get some money to send back to them to pay the life bill and things of that nature. Um, and just being around someone that didn't judge me. You know, that was helped me to see past that there could be something better.
0: And when you were reflecting on who you were in those moments. It seemed like you really identified with your anxiety, your depression, your alcoholism. At what point did you begin? And it sounds like your girlfriend, wife now at the time Mm -hmm. really helped you to start to see other parts of yourself that were overshadowed by your fear, your anxiety, your drinking. What was that transition like that? I am more in this and I, that, that I, I have the ability to to hold on to more of that for myself and to begin to grow in that direction what was that like
1: uh, it was really challenging um to try to see past what it was I was dealing with because I'd always had like visions of or envision what I wanted my future to look like um and I always think about like because, you know, I, I come from um, Decatur, Georgia, and Decatur, Georgia is not the best area. You know, you get exposed to a lot of things that um, you could get into as a young person that could deter your future and lead you down a life of crime and things of that nature that you don't really want to get into. And I always have asked myself what kept me from going down that route, you know, and I think about, you um, because obviously I, I would have been a great candidate for, you know, going to the streets um, or selling drugs and things of that nature to make money because we didn't have any, you know, and the hardships that we were dealing with, um, that money would have been useful. You know, but that wasn't the the life I wanted to live or the story that I wanted to have, you know, and I started to look at where I wanted my future to go probably when I was about 13 or 14 years old. Um, maybe 15, and um, I was watching in one of my parents' bedroom. We were living in a house that my uncle owned because we had just got um, put out of a house that we were in, and he had just moved out of a house out of his house to bought another house, um, and he let us stay there for a while and pay rent there and whatnot. And I went into my parents' bedroom and I saw that my dad had been watching college basketball. And that's when I fell in love with Kansas University basketball because the game was so intense. And I started to look at, okay, well, I played basketball. I want to play at this level. How do I get there? You know, and I started to look at things that I needed to do and workouts that I needed to do in order to make sure that I got that accomplishment of playing college basketball. And I think when I got to college and I was playing college ball, I was dealing with distress and anxiety. It wasn't working out or I wasn't playing at the level that I knew I could. And um, I think when I look back at reflecting on the journey of coming out of that suicide, those suicide ideations, I think that, you know, even going back to look at where I wanted my future to go, because my my girlfriend at the time, who's my wife now, um, as mentioned, we started to plan out what we wanted our future to look like. Um, where we were going to live, um, whose state we were going to live in, and that's when we came up with the idea we'll move to whatever states, get a real job first. Um, and I think she knew that if we had to moved to Georgia, then life would have been a little bit... We, we would have needed some help, and my parents couldn't offer that. You know, I love my parents to death, but at the time, we couldn't afford to live on our own. Um, and my wife said, okay, we need to be in Maryland where we can get some extra support. Um, But just having that and looking at where I wanted my future to go, because I hadn't even thought about grad school, I hadn't thought about the work field or what I wanted to do. Um, And then when I started to, my wife and I started to plan out our future, that's when I started to consider all of the possibilities of things that I could do. You know, I knew I wanted to work with kids because I wanted to give back to today's young people the way someone gave or adults and educators gave back to me to help coach them some of through some of those same hardships and heartaches and mounts that they have to conquer. Um, but it was very challenging because at times like I would, I didn't know the mental health aspect of things that I was dealing with. So even when I would apply to jobs or apply to grad school or try to do things, um, even I was trying to go play basketball professionally and overseas um, that, that, anxiety and that depression really took a toll on me where I wouldn't and, and it would be like work avoidance you know oftentimes when we have anxiety or depression we try to avoid those things that make us anxious and a lot of those things I would avoid you know and almost avoided going to the interview for the application that my wife had sent me because I was so anxious and nervous about it um But once things started, once I started to see that, okay, things are starting to align and I see the steps that God is putting in my life to get me where I wanted to be. You know, I took that challenge and really when I started to go to therapy um, and acknowledge that I needed some help uh, with the mental health aspect, I was in grad school and I was studying school counseling and I was, we were studying child development and the, Mental health disorders and struggles that kids come into the school with. And I remember reading anxiety and I'm like, this sounds just like me. And I went, I showed my wife, and she said, uh, Yeah, that's what I've been telling you. And because she had always tried to tell me, to, like, you need to go to counseling, you need know, to see some hell. Or, you know, why do you get so anxious and stuff like that? And it wasn't until I had a, like a complete meltdown panic attack in the middle of the mall over ketchup and my we had there was this uh fast food restaurant that had just opened up in the mall called Charlie's um like a uh Philly Chief state sub place and you know just like any sandwich shop you order at one end you pick up at the other end and just being in the mall I'm always or around people I was always trying to look at their facial expressions when they saw me to try to get a feel for what they're thinking about me um that's how insecure i was and, you know, we're walking down the line and people are reaching across me to get ketchup. People are reaching across me to get condiments and napkins of and people are doing stuff behind me. And I don't really like people moving and stuff when they're behind me. I'm like, you need to stand still because I can't see you. Um, and then my wife, she's the type of person where she has to get the condiments from that restaurant. You know, if we go to Chick-fil-A, she wants barbecue sauce. It has to be the barbecue sauce from there. It just doesn't taste right. We, I can get it at home. So, by the time we get our food, I'm making the e for the door. Like, I'm almost in a full sprint because I'm like, I'm too anxious. Too much stuff is going on. I got to get out of here. And my wife is sad. And then she looks in the bag. She's like, oh, they forgot to put ketchup in the bag. I need to go back. And I went like crazy, uh, just lost it. Like, do You need ketchup. You need ketchup. Why do we need ketchup? We need to get out of here. I need to go. And she put her arm around me. She walked back and got the ketchup. But then she just put on around me and, and walked me out the door. And that's when we had a conversation about me going to seek therapy um, so that I can get a hold on the anxiety, the depression. I have a, I've been diagnosed with social anxiety, PTSD, and depression um, and an eating disorder um, dealing with the childhood trauma that I endured. And once I began to go to therapy, take the medicine, and just coach myself through it and work with the therapists, things of that nature. I was able to see that, you know, what I was dealing with, you know, a lot of other people deal with it, it felt like it was just me. Um, it felt like I was the only one, but that's an entire community of people, you know, who struggle with mental health. And um, just being a part of that community and being a part of the therapy helped me to see that there is a brighter future ahead and that what I was going through right then wasn't going to be the end all be all for
0: Thank you. That perspective is really uh, reflective on what does trigger us. What, from our our past, what do we always bring forward into our future um, that makes our lives relevant? I'm curious, you, you mentioned that you are an author, and I am conquering mountains is what um you have written about and continue to write about and continue to live. I yesterday actually I created a Facebook post that says lay it down. The mountain you are carrying, you were only meant to climb. Mm. And I'm curious, wow. it sounds like you were carrying so much what was it like to lay it down and stop carrying, but start climbing and conquering
1: i would say like at the beginning is is a mixture between relief and fear you know because you have this this mountain of out of struggles that you're you're carrying but then you know when you let it go. There's some relief there. You know, I think about like exercise. You know, I'm on this bodybuilding journey, um, and you know, bodybuilding, you you work out to to muscle fit, right? When you're doing a lift, and that last lift, you know, it's it's hard to to get up. You feel your muscles getting sore and tightening up, and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't think I'm gonna get, gonna get this weight up. And then you finally get it up, and you put the weight down. There's all of this relief. You know, there's this feeling of like just being able to let that weight go. But when you think about trying to begin to climb that mountain and conquer it, there's this fear of, one, there's a fear of the norm of what you're used to to doing and used to dealing with. You know, always had this fear that, you know, as I'm climbing this mountain, something's bad is going to happen. You know, something's going to knock me back down it's not going to work out the way i want it to uh, it's not going to in the way that i'm hoping that it would end something's going to set me back like, um, right. well i had a good journey but you know it didn't didn't work out you know and then there's this fear of the unknown you know because you're living a life that or beginning to live a life that one is not used to living you know as i mentioned earlier when i moved in with my wife's family. That was relief, but it was also this fear of this isn't something that I'm used to. You know, where's the the knock at the door at eight o'clock in the morning where the marshal and the movers and the landlord is there to put us out? You know, where is you know the struggle of what we're gonna eat? You know, why are the lights still on? You know, like they're they're supposed to be, you know, but that just wasn't my norm. And that became a little uncomfortable. And, you know, I think about we can also have, I call it the, the comfort and discomfort, because we can get comfortable in the discomfort that we're used to, you know, which holds a lot of people back from even beginning the journey to try to overcome a mountain, uh, or begin to climb that mountain and conquer it. Um, so when I moved into my, my by the, with my wife's family, you know, it was, whew, I can breathe a little bit, I relax a little bit. But then at the same time, there's this feeling of like, I'm not used to this. This isn't normal. Um, how do I deal with this? So then, you know, I had to really just educate myself on what actually normal is, because it's not normal to be getting evicted and have your light like shut off and I have food in the refrigerator. You know, normalcy is having the things, those basic necessities that you need, um, and just creating a new perspective on life um, and that it can be a little challenging because we all can always revert back to what we're used to um, but and as we get those things that we see that we can do then I have to continue to feed ourselves forward so we can begin to climb that mountain because I was going to you know up look at like climbing the mountain and getting to the top and conquering it you know you're going to look back and see all that you'll accomplish you know think about people who probably have climbed Mount Everest and reached the summit you know, when they look back and they look at all the things that they had to go through to get to that peak, you know, it's a rewarding feeling, you know, and that's something that I always look forward to now that, you know, when I'm going through a journey, I used to often pray that God would get me out of it. And I just pray, God, let me learn the lessons that I need to learn so that I can bless somebody else, you know, to help them to overcome those mountains as well, too. And
0: when you think about conquering that mountain and the mountaintop, and looking around, I, I think it's interesting the way that you speak about that and that you're not just looking back at the mountain you've climbed, but you are reaching back and pouring into your students yes. what they need in order to c- climb and conquer the mountain as well. What does it look like or feel like for you to now have the tools to pour into somebody that was maybe um, you many years ago? like What does that mean to you to have the ability to pour into someone?
1: That's a beautiful question. I love that. Um, It's a very rewarding feeling when a student who is struggling, whether it's academically, whether it's with attendance, whether it's with their behavior, um, whether it's struggles outside of the school, finally get to a point where they are realizing that what you're pouring into them is necessary, but also seeing them use those tools themselves to help them to conquer those mountains as well. Too, um, it's very rewarding. Um, you know, it can be like a tearjerker at times as well. Um, I often tell educators that you know kids aren't robots right you know when they come into our schools they're coming into the schools with everything that they're enduring outside of the school You know, if they're dealing with domestic violence that's going to affect them and their ability to be available to learn. if they're dealing with evictions um i have students right now who are moving from place to place living with family member family member some don't have their biological parents raising them they're either being raised by a relative or we have grandparents who are now becoming parents again, and just having to navigate that entire uh, uh, ocean-sized gap of um, uh, a generation to generation, you know. And the way things grandparents did back then is not the same as what kids are dealing with today, you know. So there's a, a little bit of a dis a bit of a disconnect there. But when I'm working with today's young people, you know, I often tell educators that hey that student might not get it right now right they 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 hear it you're planting that seed you're watering it you're trying to make it manifest and grow but that seed might not grow until five ten years down the line you know and when we see those students beginning to use those tools that were pouring into them begin to Because I often have students that will come to me and say, hey, Mr. Phillips, I had an E in the class, but now I got a C, or now I got a B. Or, you know, the kids who are dealing with conflict resolution and they're struggling with that. You know, hey, Mr. Phillips, I didn't punch this kid in the face today. Actually use what you said. Because I often tell kids like, hey, you're either going to be a lion or a hyena. You know, lions, they don't worry about the hyenas. They don't worry about the laughter and the gossip that's happening around them. So which one are you? Are you a lion or you a hyena? I'm a lion. And then they start to remember and reflect on those conversations. And it's a blessing to see that they're starting to use those tools to help them get to the next level that they want to get to. Even when we're having students who um, maybe fell in a class and they're looking at how in the world I'm going to make up 15 assignments, you know, and you're able to connect them with teachers, with tutors and come up with a strategy and a plan. And then it's a blessing to see them actually execute that plan. And, you know suggests a rewarding feeling to be able to pour into them I think it you know look at our obstacles that we go through and it makes you know a little bit more relatable to the kids um not just from an experience standpoint but from also a, uh, an understanding perspective as well too that you know and being a school counselor we often hear the hardships and the heart the heartfelt stories um that the kids are dealing with you know and it makes me want to just go 10 times harder for those kids because there's those situations that they're enduring especially at the middle school level. middle school tends to set the trajectory for the kids life you know and how they will end up and what experience they'll have in high school and post high school um so being able to show them that you know this isn't all that your life has to offer yeah you'll be in school until you're 18 17 18 years old but your adult life is going to be far better, far greater than what you have right now. I often will share with my students some of the hardships that I've endured with poverty and abuse and suicide ideations and the anxiety and depression and PTSD and stuff. Um, And it makes them, and it it helps them to see that they're not the only one, because we can often feel isolated, that it's just us, um, but helping them to see that I've gone through some of the same things that you've gone through. You may not know someone or yet until you may not know, have known someone previously who has overcome those hardships, but now you're looking at an example, you know, and here's what I did and I want to help you to conquer those same things.
0: And as you, you had mentioned that you start to map out a life for yourself and, but what happens if it doesn't, work out the way you planned or the effort that you put forward doesn't give you the results that you had hoped. When you think about the future you're mapping out and the plans you have for yourself and the the mountains you are conquering, I'm curious, what does that look like for you? What is the future you are not willing to miss out on? And what, what is your temperament now and the tools that you're able to use that if life does give you a detour, if your GPS reroutes you, what, is, what are the mechanisms that you gravitate towards to persist, persevere, push through, and make certain that no matter what, you're not willing to miss out on your future?
1: So when I look back at everything that I have endured and I see that, you know, God has blessed me to overcome it and I'm still standing, you know, I often look at my past six, my past victories. Um, So when I set my goals and, you know, the goal, that's the end game. That's where we want to be. That's the finish line that we want to cross. And then we go back, we build up the steps to get there. And then we start to work towards climbing that mountain, uh, as you mentioned to get to a point where we're crossing that finish line, there are those detours that come up. You know, there are all those things that, those steps that we take that might not work out the way we want them to work out. You know, first thing I often try to do is, you know, lay a solid foundation for the direction that I want to go in. And that's what I'm educating myself on things like this bodybuilding journey that I'm on. <laughs> working out is hard. Uh, but working out and things of that nature, but also thinking about, you know, the hardships that I've endured, you know, I try to lay a solid foundation for where I want to go. You know I'm a, a minister. I'm a Christian, so my foundation is in Christ. You know, and I believe that you know there's nothing that I can't accomplish. You know as long as God is on my side, and since He said He'll never leave me nor forsake me through it all, then I know I'm going to be okay with it. You know He said, "Press thy cares upon me, for He careth for you." You know Jesus said, "Cast all your burdens." Birth- or those of you who are heavy burdened, cash care cares upon me. And, you know, that's what I often try to do. I don't ask God to remove that mountain, but bless me to conquer it, climb it, and learn the lessons that I need so that, you know, I can't reach back and help pull somebody else up, you know, but often we will look at my past victories and see what things have I overcome that may be similar in nature, but also when I had this, because oftentimes when I start to work towards a goal, I can get anxious about it. Um, especially when there is that detour. But then I have to pause, I have to reflect, I have to look at those past victories of the things that I've endured and the things that I've overcome. And that gives me some encouragement to make sure that I continue to push through. Because so I think about, you know, my life could have when my life could have ended and you know on several occasions. Um, but I'm still here, you know, that gives me, it makes it a little bit easier to continue to push through those goals. You know, um, I was, I listened to um, 50 Cent's music, not music, but his interviews. Um, uh, And one, or I read his book as well too, Hustle Harder, Hustle Smarter. And he made a comment about um, all of the things that one could have done to them that could create the most fear out of them he's already endured so now that he's you know having 20 plus television shows uh across several tv networks and things of that nature you know when he goes into those meetings with those high executives that have a higher degree than or higher level education than he has he reflects back on everything that he's been through and how he still overcome those things and it makes it less fearful for him to go into those meetings with those you know chief executives and movie producers and things of that nature so when I look back at you know I've endured you know mental abuse physical abuse financial abuse emotional abuse poverty you know uh, humiliation all of those things that I've endured when I think about the goals that I'm accomplishing now they're hard but they're not I don't I look at it as, okay, if I've been through that, then I know I can go through this. You know, if I've been through poverty and evictions, then I know I can go through this obstacle that I'm enduring. So it makes it a little less fearful for me to conquer those things.
0: Your life has given you the relativity of perspective. That yes. yes. That you, you have a, a framework essentially of, I've overcome this, this mountain, <laughs> i'm gonna i'm going to conquer and climb is there anything that you specifically want to share with a listener as you think (laughs) about somebody listening and your wisdom your life your experience and expertise what is it that you want a listener to know
1: well one i want them to know when we think about you know suicide ideations and you know what we would have missed you know i think what you're doing is is beautiful, um, and wonderful to help people to see a life beyond, you know, the suicide ideations and the hardships and heartaches that lead to those things as well. Too, um, one thing I want people to know is that you know you're not alone. You know there is an entire community of people um, that exists out there that you can connect with, that you can share those experiences with. And that can help to guide you through those things as well. You know, there's even the uh, the new suicide prevention line. I think it's nine eight eight that that you can call and get connected with someone who can help you deal with you know those situations and suicide ideas that you're dealing with. And also, want people to know that you know what you're enduring right now won't be the end all. Doesn't have to be the end all be all. Um, that you can overcome those things and that life will get much easier. Uh, or better, you know, but we have to continue to work through and push through those things as well, too.
0: And I, I would love to wrap up your interview. Will you please give me five words that describe the future you are not willing to miss?
1: Five words that describe the future I'm not willing to miss. Um, I will say, now does it have to be like, um, like descriptions or like things I'm looking for.
0: Whatever comes to mind when you think about, I am not willing to miss this.
1: Okay. Um, I'm not willing to miss watching my daughter grow up um, and being there for her. You know, as a school counselor, I see the, unfortunately I, I get a very, I get a microscopic view of what it's, what a kid endures where so they don't have their biological parents pouring into them. You know, even when they have their biological parents around, but they're not being, you know, the the parent that we, that that kid needs them to be. Um, I'm not willing to miss the opportunity to sow, sow good seeds in my daughter um, or any other future children. God will bless my wife and I Um just one. I'm not willing to miss, you know, my, uh, my wife is beginning her journey. She just made a career change of being an assistant um, basketball coach. You know, I'm not willing to miss her accomplishing those goals um, and starting from, you know, the grassroots level, doing a complete career change that what she's used to. Um, and I want to be around for, you know, that moment or those moments that lead her into becoming you know, a head coach of a division one program. um, And then uh, she wants to be a, she's getting her master's degree in athletic administration because she wants to be a athletic, uh, uh, athletic coordinator um, of a major division one college. Um, So I'm not willing to miss out on that. Uh, I'm not willing to miss out on the joy that I get to see in my students as they are navigating life's hardships and heartaches um, and helping them to conquer their mountains at the age that they are, um, and helping them to plan out their futures. So when we're looking at, you know, I'm a middle school counselor, but I, and I'm at the eighth grade level. I'm the eighth grade counselor at the middle school limit right now. Um, and I get to work with students and helping them to plan out, you know, the start of their high school future and things that they want to do in high school to get them to the next level um, of post-high school experiences that they want to accomplish. Um, I'm not willing to miss out on the ministry work that I get to do with teaching the gospel and using my talents and my gifts to do so and helping people to see the sight of God beyond the hardships and heartaches that are in front of them. You know, I think oftentimes people can get it can deter people away from this from the Bible or from God when you know, they have all these hardships and, you know, I get asked the question all the time, you know, how is God so good? And I got all this bad stuff happening in my life, you know, but getting them to see that even people in scripture had hardships and heartaches they had to endure and how God blessed them to come out of that. I you know, think about Job, you know, Job lost everything, but God gave him a double portion, you know, and helping people to see that, you know, what you're enduring right now, you might not have control over, but you control the outcome how you come out of that you know so i don't know if that's five but i think those are some very important things that i'm not willing to to miss out on going forward
0: and is there anything more that you want to share before we wrap up
1: yeah just for um the audience you know i think that a lot of times we can get blinded by things that are in the here and now but, you know, always balance that out with or weigh that against what the future holds for you um, and the things that you want your life to be like, you know, and I think that that will always outweigh the hardships and heartaches that you're enduring when you weigh that against um, the, the way you want your life to be and the way you want your life to pan, to, pan, to pan out. You know, I think that we can kind of get distracted by those hardships and heartaches and that can deter us from going to accomplish that that goal. But if it was easy, it would be worthless. You know, and there's a lesson to be learned as life is is
0: challenging. Thank you very much, Charles. I've enjoyed this time with you. And I always am mindful when I speak with someone, I would have missed this had I not survived my own suicide attempt. And you had not survived your own suicide ideation, so I'm grateful.
1: I am too. Thank you so much, and I love what you're doing. And you know, when I uh, when I think about you know your podcast and your your work and your mission, what I would have missed it's such a rewarding feeling that you know I'm still here, that we're still here. You know that people who have gone through with an attempt but have survived and things of that nature, or even know someone that has endured. Um, suicide ideations or committed suicide you know it's a a beautiful thing that when we see you know life panning out the way that we want it to pan out uh, or even better you know where those blessings are coming in and things of that nature um, and we get to see the joy of what life is now compared to what life was um,
0: when we're dealing with those suicide ideations yeah yeah awesome Hi, the rest of this episode you will be listening to is a recording of the ongoing conversation Charles and I continued after the formal interview was over. With permission from Charles, I'm sharing it with you because I do believe it captures the authenticity of his journey and I do believe that the listeners will appreciate the continued conversation that I had with Charles. Okay, so the interview is done um, and this is, I'm, I'm still recording so w- is there anything that, was there a question you want me to ask again so you can answer it differently? Is there a question I didn't ask, you want me to ask or um, we we have time to uh, orient anything that you want?
1: Uh, not that I can think of. Uh, I had a thought in my mind when you asked about um what would I want to say to people but I can't remember what I was going (laughs) to (laughs) say
0: unfortunately
1: I think it was good too but I I, I
0: think what we got is okay (laughs) I'm sure it was good yeah this is yeah your story is wow remarkable all of the dynamics you over you have overcome and um and, and I just so appreciate that you can come so far, but you haven't come so far that you're like, I. and you've developed the muscles, you've built the muscles to be able to reach back. Some mm-hmm. people can, can't do that. They, they can't, they can reflect and say, wow, I've come so far, but they can't reflect and say, let me help you. You know, mm-hmm. I, I always say there's two sets of people, some that look back and some that reach back. And neither one is wrong. It's just where do you see yourself in your own journey and the responsibility of moving in your own journey. So you're a reach back guy. (laughs) That's a
1: powerful statement that you made. Some people look back, excuse me, and some people reach back. Mm -hmm. You know, I haven't, I didn't think about that because I often think about, I guess, in my own mind, when I think about looking back, trying to figure out how I can reach back at the same time. No, but that's a great, powerful point right there. Some people look back, some people reach back.
0: Well, well, and I think it's, you know, because it takes a lot of vulnerability, willingness to be vulnerable, to say that was me. It's the idea of, um, how old are you? Uh, 35. 35. So you you talked about when you were you know a kid 6 hmm. 13 and i met you in chapter 35 you did not have to share any of chapter 6 chapter 13 chapter 18 with me because that's not who you are now and yet it is you carry all that with you it, it it's always part of your journey and your narrative but what parts of your story do people see are that uh, yeah some people particularly as it relates to suicide and suicide ideations, um, attempted suicide, uh, even for the family. It's like, I don't want to have to hold this journey. It's like, can we just move on? Um, and I'm trying to resurrect the idea that it's part of our journey that we don't have to be ashamed of. Um, it, it, it's in fact, it's quite the opposite. We get to celebrate that we're moving through through it and and you know as you're as you're doing conquering those mountains and continuing to reclaim new ones you know claim and reclaim new ones for yourself so that's powerful and when do you when do you you or your minister do you speak at um churches or or what what's that expression yeah. for you
1: so i'm a minister um at the capital of church of christ um in annapolis maryland um mm. And the Church of Christ is um, what we believe is that God, Jesus Christ authorized the church. He established it, and we read that in Acts chapter 2 when the church first came into existence, and that is the church that Jesus desires for us to be a member of. You know, there's several different out there in the world, but when we dig into Scripture, um, and we we, we tend to stick with what the Bible teaches, right, where, you know, there are some that will— create new ideas or perspectives, but we try to stick with what the Bible teaches and silent on what the Bible does. Um, and I would say like, I like public speaking. Um, it has been a bit of a struggle for me dealing with the anxiety. Sure. Um, mm. Cause it makes me a bit of a perfectionist mm. and also like uh I don't have the fear of I have social anxiety, so I have this big fear of embarrassing myself. So when I get up there, um or like as I'm leading up to preaching, I'm thinking about all right, I need to remember this point. I need to remember this scripture. So I'm mostly doing it all from memory. Um because I'm trying to rehearse it so much so I don't mess up. You yeah. know? I have this fear of, you know, falling on my face and embarrassing myself. Um and I have, like, this anxiety that comes up before I get up there. But once I get up there and start speaking, that anxiety kind of goes away. Um,
0: yeah. or
1: not kind of, but it does. Mm-hmm. Um, so it can be, like, especially when you have, like, all eyes on you.
0: Yes, understood. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and people are, you know, you can, like, standing up there in front of people, you can see those who are very attentive, and then mm-hmm. you can see those who are sleeping,
0: on their so phone <laughs> yeah. right. yes yes yeah. and i love it like when i'm speaking and um like doing a training or a facilitation and it's like man these people are on their phone and they're like no no i'm taking notes you're saying cool yeah, stuff, I'm yeah, taking yeah. notes you know <laughs> no, no i can't you know it's like okay okay yeah. oh, but it is it is public speaking is really quite interesting um and it's like you know what like you said the preparation and um something that i have at work on my wall as a statement that says um preparation must be equal to my passion mm-hmm. and because some people get lost in their passion and then you're like <laughs> yeah,
1: you're <right. laughs>
0: you, you haven't been able done the preparation to to fulfill that passion and so i always try to you know okay let me make certain i'm good to go and and then i'm also mindful i try to be mindful that um you know, I may screw up, uh, yeah. and this too <laughs> shall pass. You know, there will be. You know, it's like okay, I'm uh, the, the yeah. harder on myself than anybody else will be, and I try wow. to reorient my stress that way and just commit to doing doing the work. And uh, yeah. you know, it's like wow, but that's so cool. Your journey is so cool, and and you and your wife is an assistant basketball coach. Is it a uh, wow? And she wants
1: yeah, to be she's, B1? Mm-hmm. She's at a um, community college right now. The community college she went to before she came to uh, our school, St. Andrews, mm-hmm. before we met. Um, she's there now. And the coach that coached her back then is still uh, coaching there. So oh, she had wow. reached out, said she wanted to get some coaching experience and get into uh, um, the athletic administration side um, at some point as well, too. So. And That team is pretty good. I think they're in eleven and four right now. Um, they won a game last Saturday by like ninety points.
0: Ninety? Po- <laughs> oh my gosh! That's for <laughs> this is the mercy rule. Hey, hey, so I was thinking,
1: like, where's the running pocket?
0: <laughs> oh my gosh! Ninety yeah, pretty- points? Oh, yeah. that's brutal. That's brutal for the other team. Yeah. It's just yeah. like, oh good gosh, oh, this is awful.
1: She has she has wow. been a a monumental blessing um as that's, that's funny I meant to mention that uh before we had I think before she came into our college or maybe like a year after um because we started in our we went to school for five years so we started in our fourth year of school mm-hmm. um and she she's been, in my, been a monumental blessing in my life she uh just has been a a rock mm-hmm. and a a great supporter um, and helping me to navigate you know this mental health journey, you know, and she doesn't have and it's funny because she doesn't have oh well, I was gonna mention that you know before she came in um to my school, I was just very depressed, I was very lonely, um, I didn't have friends or anything like that, and you know, even with my my teammates, I felt like you know, and I would you know the walls are really thin in college, so at our at our school and I could hear them talking about me and saying bad things and negative things about me and stuff like that um or sending text messages across the room laughing at me when I would say something um but I remember I had prayed and I was like I don't want to be alone God like I don't want to be alone I don't want to die alone like when I looked through the at that time when I was looking towards the future I was like I'm going to be alone my whole life you know I'm not going to have a wife and things of that nature and I just remember crying and praying and asking God to Blessed me with a a, a wife, um, or girlfriend at the time, and blessed me with, you know, and us to grow and get married. And then um, everything I asked God for to be in the woman He had for me, I found it in my wife, you know. And once we met, uh, and I often say, like, like, I wish we hadn't met early on in college because the support she gave me um, would have helped me on the basketball court, you know, because I often held myself back. So once you know, I started dating, um, it gave me a lot of relief and I was just started playing to my full potential. Um, so by then I had like a back injury, had back surgery, uh, my fourth year in college. And uh you know, sometimes your your dreams aren't always God's plan, you know, but the the way God is panning my life out now, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it for the world.
0: And it is quite remarkable how one individual Mm. change the trajectory of your life one person so to me it just it speaks to um how we all move through life and whether we're on the receiving end or the giving end it's reciprocated um throughout you know the course of life but uh yeah one person
1: Mm -hmm. her asking me if i wanted some pizza and wings (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> there you go so, so I was like through your stomach she found <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> awesome. I want to close out the podcast letting you know you are so very loved you are more than enough your life is worth fighting for. If you or someone you love is thinking of harming yourself, please reach out for help. Call 988 if you are in the United States. It is the National Suicide Lifeline. And if you are elsewhere in the world, please become familiar with your local resources. And reach out for help.